watch and discuss the horrific, the obscure, and the flat-out strange from the other side of cinema. I'm Mark Dickerson. And I'm Jeremy Fink. And this is episode 11, continuing our series Rock and Reel, cult music films of the 60s and 70s. This time we'll be discussing The Who's 1975 rock opus, Tommy. We are proud to announce a truly outstanding rock opera film, Tommy. Ken Russell and producer Robert Stigman have made a film of Tommy and assembled some of the greatest names in music and the cinema. Tommy by The Who and based on the rock opera by Peter Townsend stars Anne Margaret, Oliver Reed, Jack Nicholson, Elton John, Eric Clapton, Tina Turner, Roger Daltrey as Tommy. Don't miss Tommy, the film. Your senses will never be the same again. So, Tommy from 1975, directed by Ken Russell, starring Roger Daltrey as well as other members of The Who, um, it goes along with The Who's album, which came out, I believe, six years earlier? Yes, six years earlier in 1969. Um, and it tells the story of a young boy whose father is thought to be killed in war. Um, his mother, the young boy's mother, remarries. Um, but then when it turns out that the father was not dead, he returns home and the mother's new husband kills him with a lamp. The young boy, Tommy, sees the whole incident take place, and his stepfather says to him, you didn't hear it, you didn't see it, and you won't say nothing to no one. Tommy takes that directly to heart and becomes deaf, dumb, and blind. Quite literally, yes. Quite literally, yeah. <laughs> so that's, the, uh, that's how the film starts out, and from there, uh, the mother, who's played by Anne Margaret, who gives a, a very uh, very good performance, which we're going to talk about later, but... Um, mm -hmm her and the new man in her life try to get Tommy out of this state that he's in uh, by different means and bringing him to different places and also bringing him to different doctors. One of them being Jack Nicholson, who seems to show up a lot around this time, which we discussed last time. Yeah, um, everywhere. Yeah. Which uh, I'm fine with. <laughs> yeah. Same. No, no. I, I, w I wish he was showing up more now. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I miss him. I miss him. Yeah. Um, so they bring him to different doctors Um and there are lots of differences uh, between this film and the, the album that came out before it, and also the stage musical, which actually didn't come out until 1993, so much much uh, after this movie. Uh, we are going to focus primarily on the album and the movie, just because they're a little closer together, a little more directly linked, I think. Uh, so do you, do you want to, uh, should we discuss more of the plot, or should we go right into what the differences were? Um, yeah, I think you can go right into the differences for All now, right. just in case there's anyone coming at this having just heard the album and never seen the movie. Sure. So if you're familiar with the original uh, album, Tommy, by The Who, there are lots of differences. Some of them work, actually, I think, pretty well. Uh, some of them, not so much. Uh, so for for one, the main difference is that the 
the timeline is different. Uh, the setting when the story takes place is, is a bit different. So the album Tommy takes place around World War One, and the film takes place around World War Two. So his uh, Tommy's father fights in World War Two in the film. Um, and so there's there's differences uh, like the song 1951 in the film is actually 1921 on the album. So uh, that's one of the main differences. And I think if you're familiar with the album, it's it's interesting to see, uh, you know, wh- the, how the differences play out, you know, what they add or take away from the story. I mean, obviously, if you listen to the album, it's a little bit more cryptic, um, you know, as <laughs> as rock opera albums can be. Um you know, so you get some semblance of a storyline, but you're maybe not completely sure. So the movie does flesh things out a little bit more and makes certain things clearer and puts you in that time and place a little bit better. So I think for that, it's it's def- definitely worth checking out. Um, but I do think, just personal opinion, I think the songs on the album are a little stronger, um, mm-hmm. mostly because it's, you know, it's Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend singing much of it. Um, whereas in the film, you have, actors and actresses uh, singing mm-hmm. over the songs, which sometimes works pretty well. Actually, I thought Jack yeah. Nicholson did a pretty good job. Yeah. Um, well, also, uh, when you get, you know, Tina Turner and Eric Clapton yeah. doing their thing, that's also, you know, a yeah, nice Yeah, Elton John treat. in there. Yeah, I mean, you have, John, you, have, yeah. you have fun cameos like that. Um, and for the most part, it does work. I think certain songs are stronger on the album, but that's just the nature of, of what they were trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's just a little hint at what the differences were. Also, they added lots of, uh, songs and segments in the film that were not in the, on mm-hmm. the album and vice versa. So lots of moving around of uh, the songs as well. The order is a, l- a little bit different. So yeah, it's uh, yeah, there's lots of differences to point out there. Yeah. And, and I think it's, you know, the big one obviously pointed out was the, the change in the time frame that it's post World War II. Yeah. I think actually it does a lot of good things for the movie um, because one thing, you know, and, and there's one scene in particular uh, featuring Eric Clapton, mm-hmm. um, and and there's kind of in this church. Yeah, that is was the best way to describe it. Very bizarre um, but scene. It, it's yeah. kind of like a church of pop culture mm-hmm. where the, the, the image Monroe. that they seem to worship <laughs> is Marilyn Monroe, which obviously would not have worked had right. this been set in a post World War One setting. Um, also, this, the th- this movie is just very seventies. I mean, all, all over it. Yeah, obviously because yeah. it was made in the seventies, but I mean, you know, like scenes like that and the scenes with Elton John and stuff. I mean, just so there's no way that could be set any any other time I yeah, yeah it feels it feels very tied to the time period yeah. and, and for me too the whole i mean obviously the the big song from this entire thing um was pinball wizard was right. kind of the biggest one that everyone knows yeah. um I, I found myself humming it and a friend of mine who i never in a million years would have suspected to ever have listened to the who started singing along <laughs> um so it, it is this thing where it's kind of deeply ingrained in in popular culture here and so like for example pinball is something that i wouldn't associate with you know the 1920s or the 1930s, I, yeah. I associate it with kind of this hippie or post hippie generation, um, as right. well as you know obviously a lot of the clothing, the style, mm-hmm. um, the style of filmmaking. Obviously, hearkening back to Head, which we talked about last week, mm-hmm. you know in this film you see some really interesting, uh, kind of vaguely reminiscent of French New Wave cutting and jump cuts and yeah, um, interesting editing, know, yeah, yeah, very interesting editing and stylistic things that feel very tied to the time. Um, so for me, the decision to push this to a post-World War II, um, I think there's also just a certain neurosis that comes along with um, knowing about the atomic bomb mm-hmm. that seems very weirdly connected to this movie that I can't quite place because mm-hmm. I don't believe that it's ever talked about it, but there does seem something kind of frantic 
in a way that you might see in those 1950s um, B-horror flicks like Them Mm -hmm. or something like that, where there's this kind of intense neurosis where things are spiraling out of control, Mm -hmm. Um, especially in the the Anne Margaret character, Mm -hmm. um, who seems to have the most intense neurosis about it. And I think for her, it's a little bit of a guilt trip. Mm -hmm. Um, But but she really, like, really, really loses her shit in a way that I can't imagine most people doing unless there was some kind of she's like borderline possessed yeah in in the way she loses it here yeah i wanted to focus on her performances i want to talk about the performances in general uh especially Mm -hmm. because there's so many cameos and uh you know there's band members like roger daltrey and uh and pete townsend and uh the rest of the who actually shows up in different roles just you know minor roles and stuff like that but um i want to focus on her performance in particular because i just was really you know i had seen this film not too long ago, but I revisited it for this and just watching it again. I, you know, she's kind of what holds everything together in a weird way. She, she kind of sell, yeah. sells the whole thing. I think um, mm-hmm. she's able to project so much emotion with, you know, only the words that she's lip syncing and her facial expressions. And yeah. I found her pretty impressive in this role. What would you think of her? Yeah, I loved her in this role. I thought she brought a good, good dramatic edge to the film. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, something for, because, you know, for, for how, even though the, the content, the subject matter is, is kind of absurdist, mm-hmm. um, you know, it is heavy stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that in certain situations, um, when you're dealing with the non-actors being on screen in the way they were, it didn't quite hit the mm-hmm. deep dramatic core um, that it needed to. But I think with Anne-Margaret, it, you know, it went there and beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she has like these dark kind of deep set eyes that just have this sheer horror Mm-hmm. You know, she throws her body around kind of like a rag doll, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting for her. I mean, I haven't seen too many Anne Margaret movies, um, but, you know, she was in a couple Elvis films that I, that I like, mm-hmm. like Viva Las Vegas and I believe Bye Bye Birdie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and she normally plays these kind of more chipper, sweet, all-American girls. So it was really cool to see her in this just totally, you know, losing her shit. Yeah. And, you know pushing herself that way and it's interesting because at the same time she's playing tommy's mother nora mm-hmm. who is the grounding presence you know in tommy's life and in the film but she's so out of control half the time that it, <laughs> it does make an interesting contrast i think uh mm-hmm. especially in the scene i mean i guess we could start talking about that scene because we're both thinking of it probably the scene mm-hmm. uh where she's is probably the most memorable moment of the movie when she's um as nora the mother she's in front of the tv screen watching her son and uh eventually different things start to come out of the screen uh, mm-hmm. and all over her, uh, including soap bubbles, uh, baked beans and chocolate, I believe. And mm-hmm. yeah, so I'm not exactly sure. They, Some kind of brown. I, I had substance. to look it up because at first I wasn't even sure. Yeah. So uh, mm-hmm. I did look that up. Yeah. It's supposed to be chocolate. Um, and I guess it's supposed to be like commercials. So coming right out of the TV. Mm-hmm. So sort of, sort of a surrealistic, uh, moment there where it kind of douses her and she's writhing around in it and i think that's what you're referring to when she really mm-hmm. goes goes for broke here in this role and mm-hmm. um i think i think that's a really interesting scene uh yeah yeah i agree and no, i think it's cool her. also i'm thinking of the scene where she's you know um uh, which i think is pretty close to that other moment we're talking about where she's uh thinking about like there's a mirror mm-hmm. um and she's thinking about smashing it with a bottle and mm-hmm. you know she's dressed in all white and just looks totally uh, run down and, and for me that that is kind of where the film peaked mm-hmm. um i think personally i was much more into the first mm-hmm. half of the film mm-hmm. um than i was into the second um that's a good which segue actually because we, we haven't really discussed what ha- ends up happening um did you mm-hmm. want to go into eventually what you know wh- where the film kind of leads us 
Yeah, so we can talk about where it goes. So once again, you know, full spoiler warning here. Yeah. Um, but the film kind of takes a direction where Tommy, um, through some unforeseen circumstances, discovers that uh, he can play pinball particularly well, despite mm-hmm. the fact that he's deaf, dumb, and blind. And I'm, um, I'm going to just jump in here for a second because I don't want to interrupt you, but you mentioned pinball before, and I I will have to say I did have to look it up because I was like, wait, was pinball around at this time? At the time yeah. of the album? Because the album was takes place right after World War One, and I, I didn't realize, but actually it was around. Was it around, yeah. It wasn't as you know prominent, and it wasn't really electronic yet or anything like that, obviously, but um, it, it did have deep, yeah, so it goes back further than, than you realize, but yeah, anyway, obviously like the 70s, it was way more prominent. It was, and, yeah, it was yeah, huge. Yeah. Um, especially, I mean, you know, talk about like a movie like Dazed and Confused, that kids are playing pinball. And, oh, yeah. You know, it was, it was clearly the, of the arcades, yeah. So You know, it's like, which came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, was, <laughs> was, was did Tommy popularize pinball or did yeah, Tommy happen because pinball question, is popular? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the, the analysis of pinball. Um, but, but nevertheless, so he, you know, he discovers that he can play pinball. Um, because of that, he seems to get this following. There's this big number with Elton John, mm-hmm. um, where he's playing in front of a crowd, and Tommy gets this very following. Large, very large shoes. <laughs> yeah, very it. large shoes. Very <laughs> large, all very surreal, kind of a Mad Hatter kind of vibe. Yeah. Um, you know, so Tommy gets this following, um, and eventually at some point he sees the specialist played by Jack Nicholson, who says that it's all in his head, he actually is able to mm-hmm. hear, he can see all that. Um, he has this... He smashes a mirror. Yeah, he smashes a mirror. Um, he goes right through it. Well, his mother, I believe, pushes him through the mirror, right, right. if I'm not mistaken. Um, at which point, it seems to shock him back to his senses. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, he can see. <laughs> he's he riding can hear, a hand glider. He's... He can talk. Um, and he starts out, he's singing, uh, he sings the song, you know, I'm free. Mm-hmm. Um, which which is interesting because I, we were talking before briefly about the, the kind of strange cultural impact of this film. Um, or if not the film, the album. And how it hung around. And, and the recently, um, so we're recording this here in mid-July. Um, an album came out a few weeks ago or a month ago. Um, with It's by Kanye West and Kid Cudi called Kids See Ghosts. And there's a song called Free, um, which pretty much uses a very similar intonation and keeps repeating like the, like it, in, in the Kid Cudi song, it's like, I feel free. And it, it's this kind of very similar thing, which I, they, I can't help. Do they help. sample this song? Or? They don't, they don't sample it. it, but I can't help but feel like... Mm. You know, I mean, maybe it's just coincidence or zeitgeist or something like that, yeah. but like, I can't help but feel like knowing how both of those artists pull from, mm-hmm. you know, kind of 20th century music and art, mm-hmm. that it has something to do with it. Right. Um, so, so this, you know, this, this music in this film is still really relevant today, mm-hmm. um, which is obvious also with, with the film. So I, I think, you know, for me, I think it would probably come more to the music, mm-hmm. um, the, the staying power that this has. I think it's an interesting film to examine Mm -hmm. but i don't think that i I think at its core the thing that makes it really special is the music Mm -hmm. um because like honestly i'm not sure i know anyone outside of you mark who's actually sat down and watched tommy in its entirety (laughs) like it's one of those things where where, like i don't know like like i I mean i probably do but it's one of those things where there's an awareness of it Mm -hmm. and, and you know everyone kind of you know they've heard of the film they know it's a film yeah but not that many people have actually like yeah. sat down and watched it they, they know the music yeah, no. they've seen a yeah, clip yeah. um it's so a, i think it yeah, kind it's... of gives it this like mythic almost like like pink floyd's the wall mm-hmm. you know where where a lot of people know it but not everyone has necessarily mm-hmm. seen it yeah it's, um, it's not for everyone to kind of sit down and, and take in the entire thing in one sitting that's for sure i mean it is 
you know, we talked about this a little bit before we recorded, but it's not the best of the films we've talked about. I mean, there's, there's definitely lots of issues with it. It probably goes on a little bit too long. And, yeah. you know, so, some of the songs they extended out, like um, the Acid Queen song is goes on, I thought, way too long. But, you mm-hmm. know, so things like that kind of weigh it down. But I but think, it is a great sequence. The yeah. Acid oh, Queen yeah, definitely. Amazing. And I think, yeah, like the editing keeps it interesting. And the uh, there are some interesting visuals, like with the Marilyn Monroe and the, the TV scene and the iron maiden of needles yeah uh, lots mm. lots of crazy you know off the wall stuff mm-hmm. so i mean there's enough in it to keep you interested but i i agree i think maybe watching scenes from it you can kind of get the same idea uh, you know mm-hmm. in certain ways and i hate to say that because i'm i'm all for watching you know taking in the the full film and all that but i mean for this yeah. for this movie i feel like it's okay <laughs> they, well they, they, they kind of feel like you know maybe this is what makes it innovative but also makes it not necessarily as strong as they kind of feel more like music videos right you know, At if a time you watch, where those didn't really exist. So yeah, like talking about like a hard day's night. You know that that feels like a film. Like even though right. there are segments where there's music playing, like mm-hmm. it feels like I don't even want to say a narrative through line, but like a stylistic mm-hmm. and ideological through line. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one, I feel like it's maybe best consumed out of order, and and you know you you just take in the sequence with Elton John, and you just take in mm-hmm. the you know. I'm free sequence and the, you know, the, the Tina Turner bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, then they're maybe stronger that way. Mm-hmm. And, and whereas the last two films we've talked about, um, I would say those were films, films first and that had music in them or were featured mm-hmm. in them. This one is very much a musical. I mean, it's wall to wall music. Opera, yeah. <laughs> there's not one moment, I, you know, something like Les Mis where there's very little, if any spoken dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, so did that work for you here? Or you think maybe it was a little too much? Um, I mean, I think it worked for me. I think that what I would have maybe have been interested in seeing, um, and obviously, you know, if you're going to go for the idea, go for it. But I may, might have been curious to kind of see more, um, not necessarily dialogue, but just like really like let the visuals mm-hmm. do their thing. Maybe have some more like in the way of diegetic sound where it can kind of just play, not necessarily characters speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, but it felt like, like you said, like to me that the visual pretty much always felt like it was coming second even if there were some pretty shocking interesting visuals the thing that sticks with me and maybe it's just a testament to the music as well Mm -hmm. you know the the thing that sticks with me is more the sonic end of it Mm -hmm. than the movie end of it Mm -hmm. and also part of that maybe was because you know roger daltrey is playing the lead role maybe he didn't want to try to act necessarily he maybe wanted to sing a little bit more Um, who knows i mean who knows why they did it maybe they just wanted to let the songs play out and have that be the film i mean who knows i mean it might have been a uh, decision by ken russell um and you know there could be lots going into that but i think yeah you know if you take it in chunks almost like music videos i think it works just as as fine that way um comparing this to the other films we talked about so far uh, obviously this is pretty different um Mm -hmm. something we talked about with the other films is that they're very we we saw them as autobiographical in a lot of ways um Mm -hmm. do you do you find that this film plays into that do you think there's any commentary on stardom or celebrity like the other films you looked at you know i think maybe there is um i I was thinking about this before we talked a little bit i i think that there is something there um i think you know for me you think of like the idea of the artist who kind of has something great and they're holding it in or not able to put it out into the world so to me that might be the kind of metaphor with Tommy being deaf dumb and blind and Mm -hmm. you know maybe from a childhood trauma Mm -hmm. um and at some point 
they're finally able to open up and release it into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but then as we see, the world does with it what it chooses. So I think that there maybe is a metaphor there. I just, I mean, personally, A, I don't know enough about Roger Daltrey's life or, I mean, I know I know a decent amount about the history of The Who, but, you know, like, I don't, I don't really see it connecting to their journey because from what I understand, you know, they all were pretty well-known, pretty young. It didn't seem like there was, like, a long struggle of inner solitude or anything well, like think, that. I think there are elements of Tommy the album, especially, which are uh, very, mm-hmm. I think they're personal to Pete Townsend pr- primarily who wrote, he wrote m- yeah. most of it. Um, if not all of it, actually, I would have to double check that. But um, I, know, I was reading up on this a little bit, and uh, you know, there's songs about like uh, not too many touch on it, but there's some about like you know uh, abuse or mm-hmm. both violent and like sexual abuse. Um, and obviously, you know, he's come out and said he's talked about that a little bit more, a little more recently. So there's mm-hmm. elements of that um, which I think are kind of deep seated and interesting to to think about. But mm-hmm. but definitely, I mean, you know, as far as the other films we talked about, we talked a lot about stardom and, you know, them seeing themselves through this prism of, of what that's like. And I think that stardom does play a role in this film, obviously. I mean, Tommy becomes a star. He's a pinball wizard. You know, mm-hmm. he, he actually eventually we didn't get to this in the in the description of the plot, but he essentially uh, is the leader of a cult by the end of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so there's also themes of martyrdom and, mm-hmm. you know, he, so Tommy ends up becoming, I, I saw it as like a self-righteous leader of a cult. Um, mm-hmm. I actually saw it as a critique on organized religion a little bit too. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, if, I don't it. know if you got any of that, but yeah. Well, I think that there are definitely some critiques on religion. Um, obviously there, um, you know, the, and there's the bit where people are wanting to get more out of it right? and they're kind of blaming and, Tommy. And they don't like the answers that he has and, yeah, so I think there is a critique on religion. Also, obviously, the church scene, you know, to go back. I think the right. church scene was probably my favorite sequence. Mm-hmm. A, just because of all the performers in this movie. Eric Clapton is my favorite. Um, you know, I love Clapton. Yeah. Um, but B, you know, just the imagery there, the, the Marilyn Monroe, and this idea of worshipping materialism. Um, and, and the idea also of putting that in a church to say, in my opinion, I think what they're trying to say mm-hmm. is that this worshipping of materialism isn't that different than the worshipping of a god. Mm-hmm. um or you know or a religious connection um so I, I think there is some critique there i just think for me at least personally it was just for, and I, I can't quite place what it is it was just kind of hard to connect those dots and really feel it mm-hmm. you know like for some reason you know we watched head like it was a much more abstract kind of strange out there thing but like the moments felt like really genuine Mm-hmm. to me and 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 i think in tommy what what got me is that certain things certain things felt very genuine and exciting and innovative but certain things felt kind of like constructed to me yeah i can, um, I can definitely see that for sure um which i think maybe you know maybe comes back to you know it might be the direction um it might be it might be this disconnect that they're working with music mm-hmm. pre- pre- predominantly that's you know six years old mm-hmm. And then maybe they, you know, there had been too much time for it to be interpreted. Mm-hmm. And there were already certain connotations connected to it at that point that, you know, it wasn't kind of an exploration in the process of creating it. Mm-hmm. It could have just been like, this is what we have and we're going to build the images that we think work with it well. Yeah, I mean, you, you can um, see sort of like a young band getting caught up in creating the story and, you know, and mm-hmm. I mean, there's definitely a lot of passion behind it, which I appreciate. Um, mm-hmm. I just don't think it all, as you said, like, I don't think it all translates that well to the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, although if that's how you, you know, I think we both kind of feel that way. And I think it'd be worth you checking out the film Quadrophenia, Quadrophenia. which came out in 1979. It's a British film. Um, and that actually is based on their 
uh, another rock opera album by them, which came out in 1973 called Quadrophenia. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, that film is a lot more subdued. It's almost like a slice of life kind of a movie. And the the band's not really featured in it at all. It's definitely not much of a musical. There is music in it. But Mm -hmm. um, and I think that'd be worth checking out, especially if you're not if you weren't too impressed by Tommy, you know, but you were still interested to see more by the who, um, another, another take on one of their rock albums, um, or rock opera albums. Uh, the quadrophenia is, is worth taking a look at. Yeah. So, uh, at this point, I just, you know, I feel like we discussed the themes of the film and, you know, kind of went into a deep dive there, but were there any moments, uh, or scenes that stuck out to you that, that you uh, particularly enjoyed? I know you mentioned the Marilyn Monroe scene. Yeah. We've kind of hit on a few of them already. Um, well, first off, I mean, so as much as, not that we haven't talked bad about the film per se, but you know, the, you know, obviously we've talked about certain things that didn't work as well for us. So for me, the, the whole first like 45 minutes, I actually really, really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of just the second half that fell off for me. Um, I think maybe having something to do with the fact that Roger Daltrey, um, like, like I really liked him in his reserve, Deft on Blind mm-hmm. thing, kind of just wandering around playing this neutral character. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the, the, the image of him kind of wandering aimlessly was good for me. Um, then there was also, um, like there, there was one scene with T- Tina Turner playing this kind of drug fueled, I don't know what we call it, like a witch doctor. What's, what's the, uh, I, well, I, I saw it like as a, a prostitute, but yeah, I mean, maybe, yeah, it, <laughs> well, it, also like a drug dealer kind of, yeah, yeah, there's a lot going but, but on the, there. there. There's this moment where she puts Tommy in some kind of iron maiden with a bunch of syringes yeah. instead of blades. <laughs> yeah. Um, and something about that image was really, yeah, that, that was really spectacular strong, to strong me. imagery. Yeah. Um, and then I think that's a lot of this. There were a lot of really good singular images. Mm-hmm. I just had I just had a kind of hard time connecting them and, yeah. and figuring out how they were working together to, and what story they were telling. Totally, and I and I agree. I think the op- I think the first half of the film's a lot stronger than the second half, and I think part of that is because, like I said, I feel like it goes on a little too long. But mm-hmm. also the that opening montage is like I don't know. I was captivated by it. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Like I, I had seen the film before, but for some reason, watching that opening montage. Again, that's like it. It kind of sets the whole scene with the overture playing over it, and um, yeah. it's all music. There's no dialogue at all there, no uh, singing or anything, and it's just like these images, and it's giving you lots of information. But the way it does it, it's just you know, I thought it was very well done, and uh, yeah, it it brings you into the world, and you know, I think that first half you're you're kind of with it, and and then after that, it kind of drops off a bit. Um, it, it almost becomes a little hokey, I think. Yeah. At that point, I mean, I guess that's what they were kind of going for with uh, Tommy starting his cult and whatnot. But, yeah. Uh, well, it might be perspective too, you know. Yeah. I, I, I suppose it you becomes know, how a long bit like are we a talking? Bit, yeah, it becomes a bit kitschy. I thought, like, you know. yeah, but you know, in 1975, it might not right. have felt that way. Exactly. You know, I mean, we're yeah. talking around the same time that people had, you know, brown and tan patterned wallpaper, and <laughs> you know, it was it was a different, you know, certain things stylistically definitely yeah. connected more, but you know, to a you know, to contemporary viewers who, we, you know, we've seen Thriller and, and we've seen, you know, Lemonade and, and we, we've gotten to experience this idea of like the music video now coming in as its own like art for like its own like long form mm-hmm. art. Um, I, I think that looking back at this, you know, this was a kind of really primitive example of it. Mm-hmm. Um, what, I, what I actually like to talk about a lot is like Citizen Kane. Um, where it's an amazing movie, but kind of what it did for movies, I think is what's most amazing about it. Yeah. The, the um, techniques I, I, that were used. Yeah. The techniques that were used and, and some of the risks that they took. And, and I think that Tommy might be one of those films where like what it did in terms of breaking ground on the music video genre yeah. is really important, but to sit down and just watch it 
with the expectation of what it is, Mm -hmm. it might not quite come across in the way that you would hope. Yeah, I would say it doesn't work as a film as much as the other, the last two films that we talked about. Mm-hmm. But taken in chunks, take it, you know, certain scenes like we talked about um, can be more effective, I think. Uh, would you would you consider Tommy must see watching? Must watch? I, mm, good question. I would not say must watch. Uh, I would say if you're at all interested in the rock opera as an art form or the who or you know musical films in general i think it'd be worth checking out i think anyone else um it may be a little rough to get through it definitely i mean there's lots of cult aspects i mean we're obviously talking about cult films here and Mm -hmm. i think you know just how bizarre and strange some of the scenes are like you mentioned that iron maiden scene it's uh you know i think just for that like kind of like wow factor i think there's a lot there that that would be worth checking out but as a film Mm -hmm. uh not the strongest you know not Mm -hmm. not the story is not maybe not as fleshed out as 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 you would like it to be but you know mm-hmm. um yeah. so my final take on it would be this film you know maybe not for everyone but if you enjoy the who or intrigued by the idea of a lavish rock opera with, mm-hmm. with some interesting visuals i mean it's worth taking a look at um and also to see the various cameos um and the differences between this and the original album if you're at all interested in that um, and like I said, I did make a stage musical uh, from this. Pete Townsend did that, did that. I believe it was 1993 it was when it opened. Um, and that was also a bit different from the album and the film. So if you mm-hmm. are interested to take a look at the, all the differences, if you're that inclined, uh, <laughs> there are lots of them. So, uh, yes. but we won't go into that here. Uh, did you have any final takes on Tommy? Um, yeah, I mean, I'd be curious. I'm always experimenting with how I watch things. But, you know, at this point, I've already seen it straight through as a movie. I would say, you know, I don't know, same thing. I wouldn't know if I'd call this a must watch. But what I would say is an interesting thing, an interesting thing to experiment, which maybe this is sacrilege to say it, would be, you know, we're in an age where you can get clips online so easily that, you know, maybe check out a few clips. Um, the one that the two actually um, that I would recommend would be Eyesight to the Blind, which features Eric Clapton. That's that church sequence we're talking about with Marilyn Monroe. Mm-hmm. Um, the And then the Acid Queen with Tina Turner. And actually, I know I said two, but I would also, of course, look up Pinball Wizard just because mm-hmm. it's a classic. And if you haven't seen it, you know, that that is absolutely must watch just as you're in your education as a, you know, mm-hmm. a film viewer. Yes, you have our permission to look up clips from this film. Yes. Colt yeah. Movie Colt has, has said that it's okay. We put our official seal on it. <laughs> it is okay. Um, it is okay. Yeah, but that's about it, right? Uh, nothing much else to say about this one. Um, but we have one more film that we're going to talk about. And Jeremy, what is that film? That film is going to be Rock and Roll High School featuring the Ramones. Yes. So that's going to round out our series, uh, the Rock and Roll series that we're currently doing here thank you for listening to cult movie cult you can find us on itunes and podbean as well as on social media twitter instagram and facebook if you have any cult films you'd like to hear us discuss in the show please feel free to reach out at cult at gmail.com and join us next time for the ramones and rock and roll high school this has been cult movie cult and until next time so long from the other side